0: Welcome to Sex and the City with Drew and
1: Dr. G. ...about health and sex education in today's modern classroom. Get an inside peek into the world of sex education and real-life stories from teachers. Hosted by experienced educators Drew and Dr. G, each episode brings you an open and honest discussion about a range of topics related to health and sex education.
0: Follow us on Spotify podcast on apple or our youtube channel sex ed in the city stay connected we hope to see you soon hey 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 everyone welcome back to another episode of sex ed in the city with drew and dr g hey drew how are you
1: dr g doing well just chilling on this lovely sunday had a great weekend how are you
0: I'm a little tired, I'm not gonna lie. Sunday nights is like usually my like veg on the couch and watch TV and relax nights, so. But oh. I'm so excited to be here with our guest today, one of my favorite humans in the world.
2: <laughs> Hi, Dr. Same. Floyd. Hello, hello, hello. So glad to be here. Yes. Great.
1: All right, I will introduce Dr. Floyd quickly. Nikisha T. Floyd. Phd is an educator trainer and facilitator based in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina metro area. She has more than 25 years of professional experience in the field of public health, with an emphasis in sexuality education, her areas of expertise include adolescent health and racial and ethnic health disparities. During her professional career, Nikisha managed adolescent health programs at the local, state, and national levels. She uses a social and racial justice lens and trauma-informed best practices to develop initiatives and strategies to meet the health needs of communities. Nikisha currently serves as the Associate Director for Racial Justice in Sex Ed, and as an adjunct professor in the Department of Public Health Education at North Carolina Central University. Welcome to the pod, Dr. Floyd
2: hello i'm so excited i'm excited to
0: be here we are so excited to have you and thank you so much for taking time out of your life to be with us uh you're doing so many amazing things just like as a human but also professionally so we're we're super privileged to have you here on the pod
1: so stoked thank you
2: thank you i'm excited to be here with you all
0: today Yeah, so we got to start with our question of the day. Drew, do you have a question for us?
1: Let's see what it is. I do. I started looking. I've given up on the internet. So I found a TikTok handle that gives you all these questions. And out of like the 50 I went through, this was the good one. When was the last time you cried Mm. and why? Ooh.
2: When was oh, what's popping up for me? I don't know, with my hormones, sometimes I do, I cry at uh, like a Thai commercial, but (laughs) 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 but but like for real, um, when I found out that I um. Won uh, the dissertation distinguished dissertation award from uh, Widener. I looked in the mirror and just just lost it, like because it was just so meaningful um, for so many different reasons. And so, um, my dissertation on Black men and masculinities uh, was a, a labor of love that I. Uh, Dove into like, you know, thinking about the men in my life, my nephews, my dad. And so right before finishing my dissertation, my I lost my father. Uh, and then uh, a month later, I lost my nephew. Mm-hmm. And so to get that award meant so, so much to me because it was like the work that I did for them, not only did I find it special and and meaningful. Um, For it to be uh, uh, awarded, I felt like it was like a validating that it was actually special and meaningful. So yeah, I I kind of boohooed for a very long time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and you, you know, you deserved every ounce of that award. I mean, your work is amazing. I can't wait to share it with folks um on this episode so yeah wow well mine isn't that deep but mine was last night
1: (laughs) (laughs) i knew this was coming
0: i was feeling lonely last night and i'm about Um, to get my period next week so it's like the day that i cry um before my, you know, well, you don't know Drew, but <laughs> Dr. Floyd, you know, Bingo. you have that day, you cry, and then a few days later, you get your
2: period. Though, that was my night last night. Yeah.
0: So that was rude. Mm.
2: No, Damn. like I said, I totally get it. Cause like, yeah, I commercial could come on the like, it's just yes. a lot. On, I get it. <laughs>
0: and you're like, wait, I'm not actually really sad, <laughs> but here I am <laughs> letting it out.
1: i have so many questions that i still don't know about menstruation like today i saw a thing on ovulation strips is that a real thing
0: yes for people who are trying to conceive yeah yes Mm -hmm. oh so
1: it's just like a preg a pregnancy test to see if you're or a test to see if you're ovulating so you can Mm -hmm. get pregnant or avoid pregnancy yeah
2: yeah
1: yeah okay and they also
2: have uh um uh, menopause like you can find out what stage of menopause you may be in like by it's, it's a like, peeing on the stick right yeah. So, <laughs> it, 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 yeah so the things that uh you can find in the drugstore yeah
0: <laughs> well I don't need to know what stage I'm in I'm in the stage where I'm hot that's what stage I'm in I'm hot yes. and forgetful that yes. is my stage yes <laughs>
1: That's not a change from before. You've always been hot <laughs> and forgetful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think of you. Drew, when's the last time you cried?
1: Um, I cried today. It oh, was It was a a happy cry. And I was in shock. I was walking back from the park, I was reading, and my friend Kat called me who lives in Denver. And we're FaceTiming. I'm like on the street. And she asked me to officiate her wedding this year. Ooh. Oh wow! I think Cat is like the coolest, funnest, raddest, weirdest person, and the thought that like it just made me feel so good. I felt so loved and also petrified at the same time. I <laughs> I'm so nervous, but it's one of those things I have to lean into. But yeah, I had a good I had a good street cry today in New York. <laughs> oh.
0: Oh my god, nothing better than crying in public in New York City cuz no one bothers you.
1: No, no one Leave looks like you. No alone. One Everyone's like
0: avert eye contact. Don't see what's happening. Oh my god, I've cried so many times on the subway. <laughs> Just like
1: <laughs> ugly tears.
0: Oh my god, yeah, when my my dad first passed, I would have like moments on the subway where suddenly I'd be like bawling and I'd be like <laughs> Excuse me, everyone. (laughs) Like, it just uncontrollable, just like what happened. That was embarrassing. (laughs) But crying is so good. I hate crying, though. Mm. I hate crying. I especially hate crying in front of people. And I know it's good and all the things. That's the first thing my therapists always say to me (laughs) (laughs) crying is good. I'm like, "Hmm, is it? Oh, love it. Well, speaking of crying, that leads into our topic of today really nicely. Because for our listeners that don't know, Dr. Floyd has amazing research about masculinity and is really one of the thought leaders in the field. Um, and that's one of the things we talk about with masculinity is boys and crying. Mm, so sad. A, yay, Drew, for sharing that you cried today. Um yeah. But boys
2: and crying,
1: like,
0: let's get into that for a second.
2: Yeah, yeah. It just makes me think of um, some work that I just recently did um, with the um, uh, Mecklenburg County here in North Carolina. And so they have a um, um, Peacekeepers Academy, which is um, a group of Uh, or cohort of community uh, folks who are running programs specific to trying to um, really uh, prevent community violence, uh, specifically gun violence. And um, I was given the opportunity to come in and talk with them about like masculinity and how masculinity and the way that we socialize boys is rooted in violence. And so if we're going to talk about violence, we have to talk about how boys are socialized from the very beginning, right? You know, don't cry, you're a man. You know, pull yourself up, but that's not the message that uh, girls get. Um, and so um, thinking about uh crying and masculinity, one of the things that I said was the last time I checked, we all were born with tear ducts, right? With the ability that's part of our humanity is to be able to emote, right? To express ourselves and to deny someone the ability to express themselves based off of their position in society, right? How they were born into this world is cruel. And so um, thinking that, you know, how do we start having conversations around creating safe spaces for those who identify as boys to feel comfortable in expressing who they are without taking a a jab at their identities and how they show up in the world. Yeah. Drew,
0: when you were growing up, how were you kind of socialized or parented in relation to crime?
1: <clears throat> I... Yeah, I don't remember my parents ever, like, telling me not to cry. It was more of, I think, society's messages and the messages in my, like, friend group was, like, nobody's crying, nobody's exhibiting, quote, weaknesses. And I remember, like, going to really sad movies. Like, I remember watching Marley and Me with the – this is a poor example, but just, like, the – That movie is so sad, though. Oh, my God. And I was just, like, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. Like, Yeah. Never mm-hmm. not, it was like implicit. It was just like implied that boys don't cry. And I never mm-hmm. really explored that or challenged that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I think a lot about when I was in elementary school, there's this one boy who always cried, like forever. <laughs> He was always crying. And I remember him getting teased and being like a cry baby and, mm-hmm. and all of these things. And even, and that I guess that was more like a middle, in elementary and middle school, but he like cried like a lot. Mm-hmm. And I look back and I'm like, I wonder, I don't want to say his name. I'm trying not to say his name. But I, I wonder what he is like now and what he thinks about that. Because definitely folks did not treat him well as like, the crier of
2: and also how random that I remember him as being the crier and it's interesting that you say that like how why do you remember that it's like is it because of that he he existed outside of that social Mm box right and that was something that was specific to okay this boy cries all the time this is this is different right and mm-hmm. and so that sticks out in your mind mm-hmm. as you know this could be why you remember and you wonder like what does he think about that now
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know as you know as a grown person mm-hmm. um and and even how that impacted Mm-hmm. How he was treated, and and how yeah. uh, grew into yeah. his adulthood, or their adulthood, however they identify at this time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I also wonder how cultural it was, because you know I grew up in a very white town, but he was not white.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I think he. I I want I want to say he you know he was of the appearance of being Asian or South Pacific, mm-hmm. Pacific Islander. Mm-hmm. so I'm curious as to how cultural was because you know as you talk in your research the culture of masculinity where we come from is also like yes masculinity but also black masculinity and white yeah. masculinity and all yeah how does it show up differently you yeah
2: know? yeah it definitely shows up differently um because um for for people of color to be vulnerable um can come with a lot of danger, right? Not only danger from uh, and I'm talking even danger outside of peer groups. I'm talking about like, you know, social danger, state sanctioned violence, right? And and because vulnerability, and as I'm, as I'm thinking about vulnerability, when I was doing my research, um, and the topic of vulnerability came up and I had to go back and do like find supporting research, right? For black men, vulnerability only, the the research only showed it from a place of physical vulnerability, physical life to the physical body, but it did not speak of emotional vulnerability at all. So I had to go find, you know, Uh, research that talked about emotional vulnerability, but then tried to understand why for Black men, the conversation of emotional vulnerability didn't uh, come up. And I remember one of my participants saying that for Black men to be emotionally vulnerable is giving the blueprint on how to hurt them and why would they do that? Mm. And I was like, wow. Like that, that right there alone kind of, you know, blew my mind. Like the the I remember the word blueprint like really sticking out. Right. Like mm. that was, you know, and of course my my research does not represent the experience of all black men, because black men are they're not a monolith. And that's one of the reasons that in the the even in the research itself it it lended to saying black masculinities mm-hmm. and making it plural because of how that you know there's not one way of being a man or 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 expressing masculinity um, even though society wants to constantly push that perspective right that there's only one way to show up um and particularly for black men it's only one way to show up and, and that's not true
1: yeah 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 it it's so odd because it is like you're feeling these feelings and everybody's felt this to some degree i guess but you're feeling these feelings and you're just not allowed to f- fully express them and it just you know something's not right and i i mm-hmm. feel this with my young people sometimes they're like very upset and they just won't allow themselves to like fully express it and it's hard it's Mm -hmm. I mean these Mm -hmm. kids these young people aren't taught from a young age emotional literacy especially our young boys and I think I'm curious with your work Dr. Floyd when you were talking about your your workshops and stuff you're doing are you working mostly with um it sounds like you're working mostly with adults yeah yeah. yeah, have you have you done work with like any I guess like K to twelve folks at all or teachers or anything like that?
2: So, um, uh, not so much in the in you know talking specifically about masculinity, talking about race oh, and yeah. the role that racism plays in uh sex ed and how we uh work with uh, uh students in the K twelve space. Yes, but masculinity specifically. No, that's really been more of um, uh, adult audiences for uh, folks in community spaces. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about this. What you both, you know, touching about what you both said about not being able to express yourself, and I was, I had met someone in Cape Town. Um, and he was talking about he's like you know as men when we talk about touch we are allowed sexual touch and mm-hmm. we're allowed violent touch mm-hmm. but we're not allowed like you know friendship touch what what is it
1: mm-hmm. platonic
0: thank you mm-hmm. um, the platonic touch and we miss out on so much connection mm-hmm. from any gender yeah. right because. Yes we, I can't just be friends, you know, and he was a straight man talking about, like, I can't just be friends with a woman, right? It yeah. has to be, like, one or the other, and how yeah. much connection he has lost over his life, because he wasn't allowed to have any other kind of touch.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting that you bring that up, because that's one thing that I talked about, um, just recently, like I said, with the, uh, the particular workshop around violence, right? Um, and so, um i i had to look into as sex educators we know about the circle circles of sexuality and we know that skin hunger is part of sensuality mm-hmm. right it's like but what happens when that um there's no touch you know or involved and so when i started looking i found like i was calling it skin since i'm like okay we know about skin hunger i'm like what okay what is skin starvation right and so i was mm. started typing and looking at skin starvation couldn't really find anything with that word specifically but found touch deprivation which mm-hmm. is ultimately the you know the same thing and saying how um a lack of touch leads to um depression but what does depression look like in boys in you know Mm -hmm. what I mean and so if we're talking about violence and we're talking about depression and the fact of just not even uh boys not uh being hugged or you know in a way that is like non-sexual right And, and and so how is that ultimately um leading to um fragile masculine that ultimately could lead to them losing their lives young and this is really um important to me because like I said I lost my nephew 17 he was he was he was killed you know through uh violence and he, my on his way home from school and and someone he he caught a, a stray bullet right and so it's like how does uh, the world we live in, like in the in the boys, how how why are they reacting in the way that they can? I mean, the way that they are, and it's like we we have to have these conversations on how the way that we socialize and this the lack of touch, the lack of hugging, the you know that touch deprivation that I talk about. How does that that play a role? Uh, in that, and it, it makes me think about like even like the idea of, of uh, touch deprivation, and then what happened with with COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And there was there was no school, and as soon as uh, students went back to school, they started having like all these bouts would just increase fights and school violence. That you know they were like, what's going on? And uh, you know, of course. We don't have any studies to show, but it makes you wonder mm-hmm. if the lack of touch during that time may have also played a role in what we were seeing when students returned back to school. We, 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 won't, we don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, the research is going to come out in the next five to yeah. 10 years about COVID, especially yeah. like, you know, 2021 specifically yeah. is going to yeah. be really interesting. Drew, did you experience that when you went back into the classroom?
1: Um, it was very interesting. I don't, I don't recall that the, that first year, but the second year, it kind of felt that way. Mm. So they would have been like in seventh grade. And then when they were in ninth grade, they were, yeah, it was, it was like they missed Two years of school mm-hmm. which they mm-hmm. kind of did so it, okay. it totally made sense um and my I guess I have a follow-up question Dr Floyd too is the these conversations are so important um and we talk a lot in sex ed about like having the conversations with everyone or or all the genders mm-hmm. and I guess I guess I'm curious like in your work when you're navigating these conversations are you working primarily with men or people identify as men are you working with all genders um yeah sorry that's my question
2: yeah yeah that's a that's interesting so um i'm working with uh all genders but one thing that uh, we see especially in um Like anything where you're talking about like community work, um, it seemed to be more uh, folks who identified and presented as women in those spaces, Um, which is interesting because as we talk about like uh, the socialization of uh, boys and um, there is the act like a man box that was developed by Paul uh, Keeble, um, that says okay that society wise boys can act like what's in this box and anytime they go outside of those bounds violence is used to push them back into acting in a certain way right and so that violence could be verbal right so name calling or t- you know, attacking or it can be physical, right? Physical violence or in it, it, even down to well, they're not they're acting too soft, so you need to make them play sports, right? Like you, mm-hmm. anything that is like socially acceptable for boys to have how to be, and oftentimes we think that that's other men who's pushing that, and it's not. It it can it's also women who are saying the very things that they don't want, they are reinforcing with the way that they are pushing their boys to behave, right? Uh, and so that's why um, having this, these conversations around you know, the uh, toxic masculinity, like so many folks, they wanna throw that word out, right? It's toxic masculinity is how society, everyone in society is responsible for that toxicity. And it's not just one particular Mm -hmm. gender who is pushing that narrative, right? Um, I was in um, the store doing some Christmas shopping and um, it was a family and it was a... um, person who identified, well, they, they they presented as a girl and this uh there was a man who I presume to be the father. Right. And so this girl was trying to go down the aisle and he was like, why are you going down that aisle? That's a boys' aisle. Those are boys' toys. Those are boy like he was just so like to the point she couldn't even Peek down the aisle to see what was on the aisle because he was just like, that is for boys. Why are you doing that? And it just is like, dude, like the toys, like let her see the toys, right? But mm-hmm. once again, how we are um, socialized to even determine what people can have access to based off of. Mm-hmm. What genitals are between their legs? Yeah. Well, I think a lot about, at least like
0: in you know straight relationships, and and straight women, they'll be like, oh, I want a guy who's X Y Z, but if when a guy shows vulnerability, they're like, this punk, and then they start going in, and it's like, yeah. Oh, well, Or like, they're like, he needs to be a a provider, you know, air quotes. And I'm like, or he doesn't make as much as me. So that he's not like, I'm like, well, not everyone can make half a million dollars a year or whatever. So I I find that so interesting that in the straight dating world, that's such a thing. Drew, do you, what kind, does it, how does it, how have you seen it kind of come out in... The gay dating scene, or have you seen it at all?
1: Are you talking about toxic masculinity and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. I, mm, that's a good question. I was thinking a lot about, I forget which one of you was talking about it, but with just the physical touch piece and how in my queer friendships, I still feel weird sometimes, like touching or like hugging and like holding on to them or snuggling with them on the couch. And I'm like, it's this just like, it feels weird because it was so, um, uh, not allowed back in the day. And I I hate that I feel that way, and like you try to work through it. I see. I mean, I see toxic body toxic body standards. I think is what comes to mind, and like, mm. I I think that's a part of masculinity. Um, and I definitely see um i guess just the racism within the community as well i have a a lot of friends who will talk about that especially on like dating apps and shit like very very toxic Mm. yeah and i i I think i mostly see it with with bodies and things like that Mm -hmm. my i have a question for both of you as women Mm -hmm. did you what was your experience with like Observing this, maybe like when you were young people or growing up and in your families, what was it a masculinity experience? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. That's a
2: deep question. That
1: is yeah. so deep. All right. Yeah.
2: I'm like, well, I'm like, I feel like I need <laughs> like a, 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 a glass of wine. Like, we're kidding, <laughs> right? I'm like, well, go get one. <laughs> can my therapist give you
0: the Cliff note? <laughs> um yeah I mean for me I did not have uh I had few Mm -hmm. I had one positive male father figure role middle role model like person like father type figure Mm -hmm. um which this is kind of deep um we might edit this out, I don't know. But so I'm white, my dad's white. My second, and my but my other two stepdads are both not white. One was black, one was Persian. And I was very close with my black stepdad. Like very, very close. And he was like the best dad out of all of them. And the only like positive male figure of what I thought like a father figure should be like and I often wonder if that influenced some of my dating habits Um, Mm -hmm. because they say you date your father Mm -hmm. and but that was he was the he was the nice one yeah I'm not the not my my biological father was not not nice he was alcoholic and a drug addict and absent right Mm -hmm. Uh, my other stepfather we just didn't have a positive relationship so it's I often think about that Mm. as far as like talking about daddy issues (laughs) (laughs) um but that was like I didn't have any examples like my mom was the person that was like had her stuff together and like was the strong one what she you know She mm-hmm. ran our house because the men just were a hot mess mm-hmm. um, besides that one period of time. Wow. So that's how it showed for me is like not, uh, you know, your dad is supposed to teach you how, mm-hmm. you know, men should treat you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so for that's a long time, I did not make good dating choices. Mm-hmm. But also then I sometimes did. That's a whole long conversation for maybe another
2: time, but I don't know. Oh, but it makes me think about so many things too, like as you're, as you're talking. Um, so I was very close with my dad, like a daddy's girl. And so losing him was like, uh, devastating, um, mm-hmm. for me. Um, but what is interesting is that, um, A lot of the so my dad, I always looked at him as a protector and provider, but but not from this place of my mom didn't work or you know, and stayed uh-huh. at home because she didn't like she worked too and that's she wanted to work. and so um, so we had very much of like a uh egalitarian household, right, and um. And I think about even like the role of religion so we grew up um so for your black listeners you might <laughs> they, don't, they might know what I'm talking about right but like, is this cultural piece that is relevant like so for so we grew up a uh, church of God in Christ which is a, a denomination of uh, Christianity that is different right and so um the The messages that I got from church did never align with the messages that I had in my house, right because my mm-hmm. parents very much like my mom worked my dad worked um they 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 showed up as a team um but one of the things that i I noticed uh is that um my dad ended up taking care of my um grandma and um there were a lot of things that my dad saw his dad do that um he did not they had a very fractured relationship because of it mm. and how my my grandfather treated my my grandmother um and i believe that a lot of the messages that my dad taught me um came out of the trauma that he saw or experienced mm-hmm. from seeing the relationship between his mom and dad mm-hmm. um to the point of like always have your own you know even like the way uh don't cry about that wipe your eyes you stand up you're strong like those type of messages that uh have <laughs> have uh reflected in a way like uh i've i've had a a uh previous partner tell me um, you're t- you're too independent. Like you act like you don't need me. And I'm thinking in my head, well, I really I don't. Don't. You don't need yep. you. <laughs> need. I don't need, well, I want, but I don't yeah. need. But the fact of, you know, how my dad raised me was mm-hmm. the fact of like, you make sure you have your own but it's because of what he saw what he experienced Mm -hmm. and I think it was this way of like yeah I don't want my baby girl to to deal with Mm -hmm. that ever right Mm -hmm. um and how um I often wonder like um how I present to some does that potentially scare some uh Suitors off because I said suitors like old folks, right? The suitors. <laughs> <laughs> a, a gentleman like, caller <laughs>
1: coming gentleman to your collar. door.
0: Or it was like, like what, what do grandmas grandma grandma say? They're like, "This is my, this is my friend," or what do they call it? You know, grandmas have like a special name for their man friend. You're He's like, courting mm. me. <laughs> yeah,
2: but <laughs> like, when I think about like how uh, that may play have played a role in like she's just, she's too independent and I don't know where I fit in, right? It, because once again, I've heard that, right? But mm-hmm. um, I I now, as I've gotten older, I understand where that comes from and why. Yeah. I've i, I had those messages.
0: Yeah. I mean, you and I are similar in that as far as like dating and, and this mm-hmm. whole independence thing. I, mm-hmm. you know, unpopular opinion, but one of the things I am often angry about feminism is it gave you know women and some women right but women all these like opportunities and and all these to be different but it didn't give a new opportunity of way of being for men and so men are out here like well what is my purpose because I'm told I have to be x y and z to be a quote-unquote good man but now
2: they're doing all that. So what's my purpose? Yes. And that is so interesting that you say that because that, that's some of the conversations that I've heard is that, you know, while there has been like all of this talk about like tearing down patriarchy and, and destroying patriarchy, it's like, yeah, but where does men have been absent of, you know, that conversation? So like you said, while women have been pushed to do all be all think all men are still being pushed into these very small boxes on how they can show up in the world provider protector right and and so one of the things that came out of my research is because black men because of how society particularly american society has created this I what well, created ideas around protector and provider and oftentimes depending on socioeconomic status and other things that that may not be necessarily a role that they can take on as as it is defined by white society the dominant society how do you think about provision and protection in other ways right so mm-hmm. like is provision, um being able to provide a safe space for your family opportunities for your family to grow and to experience joy you know and 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 other ways of thinking about providing but we have such this like these these conversations around well he needs to have this kind of money he needs to be able to do this and he needs to be able to do that and i think you know we really have to to really explore where these types of ideals around providing and protection come from and how they are they are outdated and they're causing harm
0: yeah yeah remember when people were getting stimulus checks during covid and um you only got if you made below a certain amount right right Mm -hmm. and so some friends were talking and they're like if if he got a if he got a stimulus check i'm not dating him because that means he makes less than 75k i was like but he could be like the director of a nonprofit in like the Bronx.
2: Doing great. Work. And being an
0: amazing person. Yeah. But because yes. he's not, I was like, uh girl. hmm <laughs> Uh but you know, and they're like, no, I was just joking. But I'm like, but that's the kind of thing that we're we're saying, like to men, like, yeah. in order to be a man, you have to be like a lawyer, a doctor, an athlete, a yeah. stockbroker these, you know, high end, they're like high money-making yes. jobs. When and maybe they, they legit want to be a teacher. Exactly. Like, we need more
2: male teachers. Exactly. Yes, we And then thinking about just because a person makes that kind of money doesn't mean that they're going to treat you well. Yeah, they probably
0: treat you worse. <laughs> Listen, I'd rather date a nice guy that's making 60K, doing good work than a guy that's buying me all the things but I'm trapped in this, and, and think about all the people that are trapped in marriages. And again, I'm this is very like a cis straight relationship, yeah. but like all the women trapped in relationships with wealthy men because and staying because they don't have a choice. Yeah, like listen,
2: mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm.
0: absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
1: these are these are really good points, and I've talked about this with Rachel a lot where I get I mean, it's so easy to shit on men. It's just like, oh, just a t- like a dumbass man, like this guy's an idiot, and I do a lot of that. like I feel like I tear down men a lot and i and I when I've had these combos with Rachel, like you're you're always like, well, and let's talk about how men are socializing, blah blah blah. So like it is really important for, I feel like for all of us to keep talking about this, Mm -hmm. um, especially I see it with the young people too, when we're talking about it, the, the norms are like, I mean, New York city is very liberal and the kids dress like a little more fluid, but there, there's still, if we're thinking about fashion and things, I think a lot of the ninth grade boys are still scared of seeming uh like femme or queer or um emotionally in tune and that makes me sad sometimes
0: mm-hmm. 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 yeah i have to check myself mm-hmm. the other day i was at the gym going in this dude cut me off and opened the door for himself and went in and like i was like <laughs> well damn but i was like rachel he doesn't, you know, like I'm not a person uh, that like expect someone to open the door for me, but that is what I thought. And I was like, well, that's just also like a human thing. Like I open the door for folks. But he'd like come me out. I was like, gentlemen. But then I was like, okay, Rachel, calm down. But I, I that is the that's what I thought of. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And when, when a guy does open the door, I'm still like, ooh, thanks. <laughs> like yeah. I'm like, yeah. wow. it's still so ingrained in me. Right. Yes. I was like, yeah. How about humans just open the door for humans? Because yeah. like it's rude to like slam a door and- yeah, in someone's face, <laughs> Right. Or right. cut them. And like yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was like, you wait for your class? Like <laughs> bruh. Like, yeah, but, uh, excuse you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we do have to like, I have to check. I mean, even you know, check my own self sometimes, but mm. it's so what we have done to men is not fair. Mm-hmm. Like, no wonder they mad and grumpy. What? What?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What do we expect?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's the only emotions they're allowed to feel, right? It's like, yeah, anger. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And it's 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 dangerous, right? Like it's it's dangerous. Um, because like I said, um, when the only way that you have been socialized to deal with conflict is through violence. Mm-hmm. You're gonna, it's gonna show itself time mm-hmm. and time and time again. And, and so, um, I just once again, I, you know, it's, it makes me think about like, yes, I am angry. With the boys who ultimately took my nephew's life. I'm angry. And I also understand, you know, that these boys are constantly getting messages from home, from society, from peers, from media, from uh, just everywhere, that the way to deal with any type of conflict or the way to even be initiated into understanding their role in society as a man is through acts of violence, whether it's verbal, physical, emotional, right? And so Like I have I am constantly sitting with those thoughts and those uh just thoughts and and emotions around those 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 polarizing emotions, right? Like I yes, I'm angry and I under I also understand from another lens.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. why things uh look the way they look um and so yeah it's it's a lot to unpack
0: sometimes well thank you for sharing that because I can I can't imagine what you're going through with that Mm -hmm. journey of healing and Mm -hmm. that perspective Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. that's really tough thank you for sharing that no problem what was your go ahead, oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, go i ahead. was
1: gonna say i think you sort of mentioned this in the beginning what was your like inspo for your dissertation
2: yeah
1: you have some you know so much about so many things
2: <laughs> i um during my studies at Widener,
1: where i met both of
2: y'all amazing just amazing people love to love to uh-huh. Widen. It. Um, I took a men and masculinities class with uh, Dr. Robert Heasley.
1: I wanted that.
0: Ah, I you should have too. took it. it I was, never got to. I
1: didn't either.
2: It was so powerful because that is when I ultimately started to understand how patriarchy is harming everybody. Mm-hmm. Right and how white supremacy is harming everybody Mm -hmm. uh, because white supremacy and patriarchy are linked. Um, And so I took that class and I realized, wow, Keisha, on top of the understanding that patriarchy is hurting everyone, what role, it made me start having some reflective like pieces, like what role am I playing mm. in upholding patriarchy, right? Um, and then it started making me think about, uh, it started making me think about like talking to my my, my brothers and my dad and, and oftentimes like I would ask my dad a question and realize that he didn't have the language to express how he felt because nobody had ever asked him how he felt, right? Mm. And then it was like, oh my gosh. And then so when I initially went, you know, started Widener, I was like, I wanted to look at like black women in religion um, because that's where I was at the time, like with my own life journey. But then I started looking, I'm like, there's a lot of work being done around this, but there's no work being done around black masculinity when it comes from that sexuality lens, like none. And so I'm like, this is where I'm gonna go with it. And after that, I just started like uh, looking into like researching um, masculinity, particularly black masculinity. I started looking into, you know, I it changed the way I would talk to the men in my life. Like I, I was very intentional about asking how they felt and then being quiet, mm-hmm. right? And just allowing them space to talk. Um. I actually went back and had to apologize to some folks like, yeah, Mm. that time that I did this, I realized that I was acting in a way that discounted Mm. how you felt. And that was wrong for me to do that. And I deeply apologize for that. What was their reaction? Quiet. Because first of all, like, it was just like, I, yeah yeah it was just like it just thank you i gotta thank you for you know apologizing but still it was like damn i don't even know what to do with that like you could tell, like you know because once again mm. who does that right and so uh or how often does it happen right and so um that just that like everything after that it just you know started looking into um or researching and writing on things around masculinity and so many people will say well you know you are a um uh, you know you're a black woman and so why are you talking about masculinity I'm like well you know my positionality statement I'm quick to say I realize that and I'm not speaking for them I'm sharing what they have told me and you know and because i'm showing up to see how i can do better
0: mm-hmm.
2: right and and how i can um support the men in my life not trying to ultimately tell people how to be that's no that's not what i'm doing right it, it's um providing you know an opportunity to share anything that is or oh, everything that's coming out of the work that i'm i'm pro- producing around this topic that not many people are even paying attention to or providing space or researching in the first place yeah
0: have you ever listened to the man enough podcast yes i Did know what you're gonna see say. the episode I know when so yes it's the guys that are on it's the two guys um Mm -hmm. and one of the men who's black he asked the woman uh that was on the podcast he was like what gives you the authority or the knowledge to talk about masculinity she's like the same reason that you can talk about whiteness because when you're the oppressed you deeply know your oppressor And, and i think that about that you know like you can look at it in a different lens and bring yeah. things out of it that when yeah. you're not so steeped in it, you yeah. don't realize. You know, like as mm-hmm. white people, we do all kind of shit we don't realize, and someone else can mm-hmm. say it, we'd be like, "Oh, you're right." You yeah. know, like yeah. because we're just in it, we you you can't see it the same. So right. I think your work it is very similar
2: to that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. And so, and I remember my dad telling me, I'm so proud of you. Like, I'm so proud. Because he noticed, like, when I would just, like, sit back and say, Dad, how you feeling? Especially when he started dealing with some health issues. And then the issue around, like, men and when they start having a decline in health, what does that mean for how they see themselves because society at this point is saying that, you know, the messages that they're telling, you know, you're a man because you're strong. You're a man because of this. But what happens mm-hmm. when you're no longer able to fulfill those particular roles in that way because your health is declining and he would tell me things I would just sit and I would listen to him and then he would end it. But don't tell your mama. Right. Because it's <laughs> <laughs> because it still mattered to him on how you know or what my mom thought of him but of course she she was there she was there with him all the way and 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 uh you know she was really my mom was such a a good caretaker uh for my dad um all the way up until he, he uh transitioned um to the spirit world and um Sometimes I want. I'm like, maybe that's why I'm not married because I don't have that level of selflessness like she had. Like, I was like comparing myself. I'm like, gosh, like this is a, like this is something, right? But um, right, girl, yeah. there's a
0: reason I ain't got kids. I'm not wiping your ass. <laughs> I'm not
2: doing it. <laughs> so, oh, but yeah, I, I, I. I I just remember, like, those conversations and just, like, um, and even, like, with the the research and my participants, how so many of them said, thank you, right? Like, I had an hour scheduled for... So I did photo voice, which is, I asked, I gave prompts for them to take pictures, right? Like, what do you think about... Um, or feel or understand about masculinity what do you think about feel or understand about manhood what do you think about feel or understand about being a black man and they brought these pictures and i use those pictures to help guide our conversation um for a number of different reasons one because by Love me that. presenting as a as a woman like i i didn't want the, the focus to be on me so it gave some it gave the uh opportunity for them to focus on something else right mm-hmm. and and talk through it um it also um so it provides a, a a more of a complete picture, right? Because your uh, pictures and visuals are one part of the brain, the words are another part of the brain. So it brought those two spheres together and provided a, a, a more complete picture. And what was interesting is while I looked at the pictures one way, when they started talking about it, I realized I was totally wrong, which once again, helps to understand around like thoughts and ideas of masculinity manhood being a black man etc so um the interviews you know based off of these pictures (laughs) um i had an hour set to up for each interview interviews lasted for an hour and a half one of my longest interviews was uh, almost two and a half hours.
1: Oh my gosh!
2: Now thinking about this, like, oh, this is good until I had to transcribe all that stuff, right? Like that's when it was. Like, <laughs> that's that's when I, I, I was need a struggling. <laughs> exactly, I was struggling. But but um, most of the the um, the interviews had. Uh, there was like this, thank you. Thank you for giving this space. Thank you for, you know, this feels like therapy. I'm like, I'm not a therapist, right? I want to be clear, mm-hmm. you know, but just <laughs> giving that space to talk openly and freely. Um, and, you know, and I did myself, my best to provide that safe space. And and it was interesting because it was this was done all virtually too, because it was in the middle of COVID, right? So I had, right. to, I had to do, and so... Um, but so many of them, like, thank you. Just thank you for giving this opportunity, this space to to talk openly and freely. And once again, that right there also like gave me like, hey, this is, you're moving in the right direction with what it is that you're doing. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I would be so curious to see how some of those conversations would um, look, feel, and sound like with uh, Black folks from the diaspora. Black men, because I think the, you know, the Black American experience is so um, yeah. unique as mm-hmm. opposed, maybe not in a unique, it's not the right word, but it's it's a very specific experience as opposed yeah. to Black folks around the rest of the world. And that, it would be interesting to see the similarities and differences um, of those conversations.
2: Yes. Yeah. you're reading my mind because it's something that I really would love to do, right? I would love to see um how um certain types of uh particularly around some of the concepts that came up um, so like uh around um vulnerability is a concept that that came up uh, ideas around rights of having the rights of passage um came up so it would be interesting to see that from a cultural lens how uh, those things are, are, are similar or different. Um, because yeah. like you said, you know, um, uh, with, with cultural aspects that uh, there are, we're not a, blackness is not a monolith. Right. And, right. Uh, and so it would definitely, um, be interesting to see the variations that exist and the similarities that exist too, because of yeah. colonization. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This leads colonization
0: into, and yeah.
2: globalization
0: oh. and yes. yeah and all the things
2: and all of the things
0: yeah yeah Drew, what were you gonna say
1: no this was this is kind of like where I wanted to go is like where where do you see like your work going with masculinities either with work or research and I think you sort of just answered that
2: yeah um, yeah. And it's interesting though, because when I first started, I did I never realized that or never thought that I would end up like working with folks around violence, right? Like I I that was something that just, you know, happened. Shout out to my friend um Tracy Campbell, who is the um director of, of uh the Office of Violence Prevention in uh Charlotte. Um and so um She's the one that like just through conversations, like I really think that the folks that I work with need to hear conversations around masculinity because it is a new way of thinking about the work that we do, so that's how I kind of ended up like moving into that space, right um and so, um, I had absolutely no idea. That that would be somewhere where I would land. But I loved it, right? And I would I want to continue that work. And I think it especially because now it is also very personal to me, given my lived experience. Um, but I I want to just continue, I would love to do an extension of my research because majority of the um uh, men uh in my study were like in the late 30s uh to uh mid 40s. Um but I would love to talk with uh, younger men to see, like, if there are similarities, uh, or does that is that part of the masculinities, like, concept that you know that how one perceives their uh, masculinity and how they practice masculinity changes with age, and and um, experience and in in time. Of course, you know, we all <laughs> change with. Mm-hmm. you know lived experience so I, I you know it would be interesting how uh that happens or or uh, in what ways it it shows up so i would i would love to do that i would love to um take my work and i keep talking about this i just need to really like push push the push the gas on this but turn what i did into like a uh, a docu series Ava, yes. uh, Ava, yeah. y'all Ava.
0: that are listening, send this podcast to Ava. Come on, yes, girl. I... we got something
2: for you. <laughs> if you're listening, listen. Right. <laughs> I got an yes. idea for you. And I would yeah. to, to oh. take that. Oprah! <laughs> <laughs> exactly, like, because one of the things that I ended, like, each interview with is I asked the question, if you could describe Black men and, um one word, right? Like, and I gave them five opportunities. So, you know, just give me five words, right? Just one word. Um, what, how would you describe black men? And every time I did that, like the atmosphere now, and this, once again, this is an atmosphere that was created in the zoom of fear, right? We're in, we're in, we're in, in Zoom and you could, you could feel their bodies shift. Right, and they, they would look up and like, uh, several of guys even got kind of teary eyed and they started talking about like, black men are vulnerable, black men are creative, black men are loving, black men. And it was just these, you know, just mm-hmm. all of these ways where they were able to define themselves for themselves. And it was totally opposite of what society is constantly saying, including, mm-hmm. you know, not one time did they say that black men are victims. They don't see like themselves as victims, right? Mm-hmm. Society tries to paint that narrative when trying to constantly uphold white supremacy ideology, but that, that is not how they are seeing or defining themselves, right? And so they, I to the point it happened so much, I had to start like researching body language mm-hmm. because it was just that impactful but what it was was like it was this idea around like i am seeing myself right i'm defining myself as i'm defining the men that i'm thinking about the men that i'm with right so that principle of like Ubuntu right this mm-hmm. like we are together we are one we are you know i am because you are and, and so um that is something that really came out uh in the work so i would love to continue, uh, different lenses of the work to see how, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, we, we can just I- expand and see, um, mm-hmm. it uh, in, in, from different lenses, yeah.
0: Picturing an art gallery with the photos and the words. Listen,
2: yes, some of the pictures that I have are yeah. absolutely amazing pictures, um, one, there's one, um, because one of my um, participants uh, was a, uh, or is a um, a dancer, okay. ballet dancer. And so um, there's this picture of him doing like this workout and he's saying, you know, this is a, a representation of Black men learning that they don't always have to show this brute force that they should be open to learning how to be gentle to the, to their bodies in a world that is not gentle to them. Mm. And I was like, Ooh, Oh goodness. Like I like that one was, it was deep. And then I had another picture where it was like, uh, was a theater that was boarded up and it was like MLK, like Martin Mm. Luther King. And it was like, really like this, the dream, Mm. right is uh is alive, but we are not interested in people showing up just to be performative. That mm, you know, to be closed off. And so um so some of the pictures that I have like are absolutely amazing pictures. Wow. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And what a beautiful piece of work. I mean as you said, I mean black american men especially are are not allowed to define themselves Mm -hmm. in our country and to have folks be able to say no we are this Mm -hmm. and to be heard is Mm -hmm. is a beautiful thing
2: yeah yeah
0: such a testament to your work
2: thank you thank you i i really um i leaned on like bell hooks a lot um um because there's a passage uh, in her book, um, uh, we real cool. And I use that passage to close out my, um, my uh, dissertation. Right. And it talks about, they were basically, they were brave enough to define themselves for themselves, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and that was what my work was about is men talking about and giving the opportunity for them to define themselves for themselves. Yeah. It's beautiful. it's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I could talk to you for hours and hours. <laughs> uh, you're one of the most Seriously. brilliant people I know. I'm
1: just like <laughs> glued here.
0: Yeah. And I I mean, we we need to have you back. Um Absolutely. and I remember when you were still like writing it in the conversation. I remember one conversation we had in the back of a cab and I'm just so excited for everyone to be able to see this work and to be able to see um, and hear these voices Mm because you've really done something amazing. And it's really cool. Thank you. Thank you. How do you feel, Drew, as the man in this conversation listening Mm -hmm. to all of this?
1: I I feel great. I think I always get a little nervous about when masculinity comes up because I feel like there's this part of me that feels like I should know or be able to talk about it more so there is like always a nervousness I think mm-hmm. I'm definitely thinking now about I it always goes back to the young people for me and I'm mm-hmm. I found out that like this next grade I'm gonna get is gonna be gen alpha which blows my mind so gen z is like pushing out of high school and i'm just like thinking about how each generation is a little different Mm -hmm. i'm wondering like in regards to masculinity like what their world or what their experience is going to be like i'm very curious to kind of see that in the next couple years
0: yeah interesting interesting the youth gonna be okay because (laughs) they are listen yeah they are doing a lot better than a lot of (laughs) the folks our own age that are hot messes (laughs) They're gonna be all right. The kids are all right. They're gonna be all right. Us, on the other hand, (laughs) we all need some serious therapy. But (laughs) the young folks, they're gonna be all right. Right. (laughs) I need some money. (laughs) That's what I need. Right? They're not gonna have any houses, but they're gonna know the things, and they're gonna be happy.
2: They're gonna know the things. Yeah. They're gonna know
0: the things. Oh, I love it. Well, hopefully we'll be able to have you back. Um, we have some other folks that are also doing some, uh, well, I don't know if you know Christopher Pepper. He does some work on masculinity as well, and he's actually writing a book about boys. Um, yeah. And so I want to introduce the two of you and have you all on to talk more. So that I think that would That'd be a be really perfect. cool thing to have you back, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. he's another really
0: cool person um yeah you two are the folks that are doing like some of the most amazing work about masculinity that i know of in the field right now so i'm gonna
2: link you two together <laughs> oh That's, I, will, I love it i love it i um welcome uh i'm welcoming just wherever the universe takes this work and i feel like you know um it will land where it needs to land so uh, i welcome all the opportunities so yeah link link us up let's do let's do that right <laughs>
1: well thanks for coming on Dr. Floyd this was this really was like a magical combo can you give our listeners a place to contact you or view you maybe like a social media if they want to follow yeah. your work sure
2: so I'm getting better with the IG I, I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to do better, but, um, Floyd 67, uh, is my IG. Um, and so, um, that is where I am posting, um, or just posting things that are specific to masculinity. Um, just, there was a one, um, uh, reel that I shared, uh, Richie Rashida, I believe I'm saying his name correctly, who is um a formerly incarcerated individual who's doing amazing work around feminism and and, and oh yes. I has, like it's awesome. Yes, yes he's amazing. So he um shared about like how patriarchy upholds like prison um culture and even the the way that we think about the pr- prison system. Um, and so it's just, once again, just made me start to, to think. Um, so yes, like my particular IG, the Nikisha voice six, seven, um, is where I am not only talking about my work, but I'm sharing anything that is specific to masculinity that I, I think should be a part of the conversation. Awesome. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah.
0: Well, it was so great having you. We will have you back soon. Okay. I can't wait to hear about all your updates and everything.
2: Yes. Like I said, I need to just push go. I need to push go and and jump on it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Nah, it'll you're it's it's on its way. It's on its way. It's yours. So it'll be great. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining for another episode of sex Ed in the City. We will see you all next time. Bye.
1: Bye, everyone.
0: Bye-bye.